My name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Before all of the wins in my portfolio, I was a little boy diagnosed with polio, experimenting with cures. I tried every one, felt everything in my right, but my left was numb. Walking with a limp like, will I ever run? Once again, or is this it? Am I forever done? Living in the hospital was never fun. Some people were cool, but not everyone. You never know who you're lying in a room with. So I broke a broomstick in half and let it groove with the concrete in the bathroom floor. It had a new tip, stashed it behind the toilet in case I ever had to use it. Cause one day Dolores had a chat with me. Said she got word someone was coming after me. My heart started beating rapidly. I looked in front of me and back of me. Who thinks they're whacking me? Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling. Welcome, everybody. Another episode of Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And tonight, we have an amazing guest. I can actually say he's my friend. I've spent many years in conversations and dinners talking to him. He's put me in his book. He's written numerous magazine articles, but we'll get into all of that. First, I want to welcome Pat Picciarelli, my co-writer and host. Hi, everybody. And my friend. And then our millennium. Millennial, there you go. Millennial, whatever. That's what he's corrected me for three years now, Mark, on this. <laughs> Millennial, Megan Horan. Hello, how are we doing tonight, guys? Oh, great. Very well. Well, I want to have Good. the pleasure. Sometimes Pat introduces, sometimes Megan, but this guy, I can't say enough about him. I met him years ago, and then we started talking, and he, we collaborated on a couple of things, and... Not, not that he needed me, but I had some information that he didn't have. He didn't know where Bernie Madoff ate on Sunday nights and <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> so with that said, and nothing else further to do, Mr. Mark Seal, with a great book, Take the Gun. Uh, no, no, Take the Cannolis, Leave the Gun, or Leave the no. Gun. <laughs> leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli. I should know that. I should know that by heart. <laughs> Yeah, you should. Shame on you. I know. <laughs> Mark, I apologize to you. No worries. Thank you, Gianni. Always great to speak with you. Well, let's get I into it. I mean, Megan on. has a bunch of questions that she'd like to lead off with. I know Pat's going to jump in like we always do. but uh, Absolutely. I can start it off. Please. Um, Mark, for those of our audience who may not be familiar with you and your work, would you just give us a little introduction? Tell us a bit about yourself. Yes, so I am a special correspondent with Vanity Fair magazine, um, and I'm also the author of numerous nonfiction books. And uh, so this book uh, was just out three weeks ago today on on Tuesday the 19th, and uh, so far so good. And it's great to be here and uh, so happy to answer your questions. Now, we're, we're happy you're here. I mean, even the book, you know, I, I obviously... I'm I'm in the book with you for 50 years living it. Yeah. And I think it's going to clear up to a lot of the myths about me 
because of you, I didn't know you were going to expose Sidney Korshak and Kirk Kerkorian and all of that, but it, it's that was the thread that held it all together for Bobby Evans and everybody else and the powers that be. And actually, in the book, you pointed out that they went to Sidney Korshak to secure Pacino from the gang that couldn't shoot straight that was supposed to shoot at Columbia. Yes, exactly. Well, Robert Evans had had uh, mentioned some of that in his book, The Kid Stays in the Picture, of course. And uh, but yeah, you know, I interviewed Evans in his home before he passed away. I interviewed him for the for the Godfather story in Vanity Fair in 2008, as I did Gianni as well, of course. Right. And uh, so he elaborated on that story even more, you know, in his home and told me about, you know, how he called uh his friend and uh, how and what happened from that point on and nobody knew who Pacino was of course at that right. point he hadn't right. been in a movie he had shot the panic in needle park but it hasn't hadn't come out so he was a broadway actor uh, sometimes off broadway and nobody wanted him of course except francis coppola and that's why i find really uh enlightening for the our audiences the fact that you know that the so many people are negative on my story that they read in my our book. And um, it's funny because I had so many people in the background, like Korshak and like, you know, different people, and Bobby Evans. Because when you read your book in the 11th hour, maybe even the 12th hour, Francis got everybody he wanted in the picture. Exactly. Yeah, that's the great thing. I mean, he except me. That's the thing. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. But he envisioned the cast early on and had them all come up to uh, San Francisco. His wife, you know, cut their hair. They did these homemade screen tests and he knew who he wanted, which is so amazing. He wanted Pacino. He wanted Khan. He wanted Diane Keaton and he wanted Robert Duvall. And the studio obviously wanted some other people for all the roles. And of course, he also wanted Brando. Right. And nobody wanted Brando because no. he was considered washed up at 47, temperamental, and kind of a has been. And look what happened uh, because I know, it's amazing for everybody. Especially but you me. want to discuss, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the Robert Evans. And I think the people who are sure. uh, our listeners would uh, like to hear something about him too. He was basically the spoiler in this project. At least that's the way I got it. Yeah, well, he, you know, Evans was the head of production, obviously, it's at Paramount, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, wanted to make magic. And he, you know, Charlie Bluedorn had hired him to turn the studio around. The studio was in, in trouble. They made Love Story, which was uh, a reprieve, but it wasn't a rescue. And so they gambled on The Godfather. They didn't think it was going to be a hit at all. You know, it was supposed to be a low-budget movie done in contemporary times in a town like uh, St. Louis or Kansas City. And nobody had big expectations for it. And Evans really believed in it. At first, he was a little little questioned, questioned it, too, you know, because he had made The Brotherhood. At, uh, or the Brotherhood had been made at Paramount, and it, and it flopped even despite pretty good reviews. So, you know, there was there was a problem with the movie in the beginning because nobody thought it was going to work. He didn't like the score either, did he? Oh no, he he didn't want the score. He felt that n- the Nina Rota music was too dark, uh, and he needed something like a, a you know Mancini, Henry Mancini 
theme to lift the movie up from all of this darkness and death. And Coppola fought for that too and won. And look, look, that's one of the most iconic scores of all yeah, time. Yeah, amazing. Oh my God, yeah. You know what I see in, in that movie? I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. When uh, when my agent and, and also Johnny's agent approached me, his name is Frank Wyman, about four years ago, would I like to do a book? He assigned me things occasionally over the years. And I said, sure, with two. He said, the, the Gianni Russo, he played Carlo in The Godfather. I thought, I mean, my dreams come true. My favorite movie of all time. You know, I'm, I'm going to work with one of the stars of the movie. I think this was great. I've seen that movie, and I'm not exaggerating, at least a hundred times. And you get to a point where, of course, you know everything, or you think you do. And I like to look for things that I've never seen before, and I like to pick them out. It's a game I play. This mm. last time, uh, maybe viewing 101, when uh, Michael goes to Vegas to see uh, Fredo, and they're getting out of the elevator before they yeah. get in the room, he's uh -huh. got all of the baggage with him. One of the bellhops is John Larroquette. Wow, I didn't realize that. That's I mean, that was had to be his. I mean, he didn't have a, a, a speaking part. Uh, uh, Pacino asked him a question, and he just nodded toward uh -huh. the door. That type of thing. So that's something else I learned about this movie. Who, who knows how many extras got started in here uh, in that picture? Yes, so many. And look at all the extras. I mean, at the wedding scene of Gianni's character, uh, you know, and Connie, there were like 750 extras, right? Oh, that was crazy. And uh, of course, Gianni was in the background uh, doing more than acting, I guess, right, Gianni? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was selling soda. I was doing it all. <laughs> it's, it's funny that one, one of the uh, cast members that we met later on, and we've been talking to him, we had him on the show, Nick Vellalongo, who won the Oscar two years ago for Green Book. Wow. He said, I met you years ago, my father. I said, where? He said, I was eight years old. I was one of the guests at your wedding because Coppola said, any of you guys have any kids, bring them to the wedding and dress them like they're coming to a wedding. So that's how long I met him. I couldn't believe it. There was just that's amazing. So that's many so careers amazing. that came out of that movie. All yeah, those influenced and that wedding, by it. And that wedding scene was so great. You know, it just, uh, I think that it, it, opened up everything like it was like a mario puzo story from one of the magazines he used to write for where you introduce all the main characters in the very start and then you're compelled to follow them through through everything that happens from that point forward which is what that wedding did right but it, uh, i mean just the behind the scenes stuff though i mean because I, I knew you know it's so funny because you and i have had this conversation with some of the articles most people don't know Charlie Blue Dome was well connected to some Italian friends of ours. And he didn't want the movie. At first, they told him, don't make that movie. He said, what are you talking about? I don't own it. The studio owns it, and I own the studio. And Bobby exactly. and everybody wants to make it. But yep. uh, it was so crazy. When the smoke cleared, there was about six people that I was very close to behind the scenes that there was no way that Johnny Russo was not going to be in this movie. And uh, and nobody's talking about it, and and right. you didn't talk about it, which I think is interesting. And then, and yeah, then, I I thought you covered that pretty well in your book, you know. Well, I know. And, yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, yeah, the casting was amazing. You know that nobody, you know, they, after Coppola envisioned the cast, 
then they went into this intensive uh, screen testing mode where all of, all of these actors flew to New York and were screen tested day and night. I think it was went on for several days and it cost the studio like 400000 or something like and, that. And Pacino, they were wearing him out. Yeah. Yeah, he kept coming back and forth. You know, he said, you know, I, I can't, he, they kept calling him back and he didn't think he was going to get the part. So it was very frustrating, he, he, he had said on his part, right. to keep being called back for a part that he didn't think he would get. Well, they told him basically they don't want him. It was in the, in the trade magazines. They don't know yeah. why they kept bringing him back, but Francis kept bringing him back. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, the cast that he saw in the beginning was the perfect cast. And, of course, Gianni as, as Carlo, who else could have played that like that? That was just, you know, it was amazing. Well, we're going to find out. The, in, in, I watch, I'm watching, nobody knows I'm getting the stills and everything from the offer. Oh. And uh, the kid who's playing me, Brandon Wilson, is, uh, he, I have the pictures of him getting the beaten from James Caan. In that movie, which is interesting now, 50 years later, somebody's playing me in that same role. It's like so bizarre as, as me, who not even in the business. Now there's a character called Gianni Russo in a movie. Let's hope he doesn't get, let's hope he doesn't get his ribs broken. No, no, they didn't. I mean, but uh, <laughs> I, I think they, they coordinated a lot different. <laughs> and they're not working with Jimmy Conn, who was a hothead to begin with. I don't yeah, even know right. who's, I don't know who's playing Jimmy Conn, actually. But, I don't uh, know. Well, Mark, if I could ask you this. Sure. So you said you've written about The Godfather before, mm -hmm. but could you tell us what inspired you to write this book and what you felt it would offer that would be different than other books written about the making of The Godfather? Yeah, so I felt that because I had done all of these uh, original interviews in 2008 with some of the, um, the people who are now uh, dearly departed, uh, Robert Evans, uh, uh, Carmen Caridi, um, I interviewed uh, Al Martino, um, uh, Abe Vigoda, Abe Vigoda, I interviewed in New York, um, you know, some of the cast, the, the man who cast the extras, I interviewed him. Anyway, I had all these interviews and the 50th anniversary was coming up. And um, I've just always been obsessed with this movie. And I just felt like I wanted to do it. I didn't know if I would uncover, you know, come up with new things, or I didn't know where where it would lead me in the beginning. I just knew I wanted to take that trip, you know, and to go down the rabbit hole and see what I could find. And uh, you know, it was just fun for me because I just I think it's the greatest movie of all time, and I think it the behind the scenes story as Evans wrote is as fiery as anything that happened the war of the corleones you know the war of the movie was as wild as the war of the Cor corleones on the screen and so i just wanted to get into all of that and i thought it would be you know great fun and interesting hopefully inspiring i wanted to tell the story also of mario puzo i wanted to tell the stories of all these amazing characters that came together um you know under all this pressure and it was like, you know, you know, the coal that's, uh, you know, pressurized into the diamond. I felt like that's what it was. And so I really wanted to do that. And that's the reason. And with the 50th anniversary coming up, I got my chance. Well, there's one fact that you came out with that really nobody knows. And you and I, I, want, I wanted to not tell you before we were on the air tonight. Uh, you know, I had a club, as you read my book, and Pat wrote it. 
in the Tropicana Hotel. So we were very much aware of Mario Puzo and his gambling debts. Mm-hmm. And, and he was coming out doing research, trying to find out about the mob. And then suspiciously, which is really, I, I had to almost fall on the floor. I don't know how you found out that his $13,000 marker was picked up by some people. Yeah, so that part about the, him at the Sands, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Well, guess who picked it up? I didn't know who. Frank Costello. Oh, my gosh. That I didn't know. No, wow. it's Costello. I said, that'll that'll secure me my part for sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Because to so them, it don't mean that. It's, it's a marker. Come, you know, it's just ripping up a marker. club? Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, Mario stayed at my house. I uh, I was good friends with Johnny Agnelli, and uh-huh. after we did that, you know, he wrote Superman. I mean, not wrote Superman. Mario wrote Superman, and Marlon Brando played his father. That's right. So Agnelli says to me, "They're coming to con." He said, "Have him stay with us at the house." I said, "Well, I don't know. I could just do that. You know, he may he may want a few dollars." He said, "I don't care what he wants. I want him at my house." So Mario. And Brando stayed with us at, at for the premiere of Superman. Wow. And it's like That's another amazing. whole revelation of meeting that on that level. And Mario and and and, uh, and Brando, well, I was I already had a 10,000 square foot house next to Brando. So he didn't know where my money came from. He didn't know <laughs> what I was doing. He didn't care as long as he could have part of it. <laughs> That's great. But uh, I mean, you reveal that, but... I was wondering if somebody told you that Costello picked it up, but he didn't say it. How'd you find out about that piece? Um, I just interviewed people that knew about it. You know, I quote some people in the in the in the book that that had uh, been there when he came into the Sands. Yeah, and and was gambling, was playing roulette at the Sands. Yeah, well, he knew the Sands where everybody hung out. You know, that was the mob hangout, including Sinatra and. Mickey yeah. Carl Cohen, Mickey Cohen, all those guys. So, but what a story! You know, he was—he's kind of like the hero of the whole story. I mean, he, you know, was so kind of like out, down, and counted out. And you know, he had sold two novels. First, were thirty-five thousand, thirty-five hundred dollar advance. Right. The second yeah. was three thousand dollar advance. And I love the story that he told. I think it was to Time Magazine that he was uh, had a severe gallbladder attack. He calls a taxi to take him to the VA hospital. And once he gets to the VA hospital in New York, he opens the door and the pain struck and he falls out of the taxi and he lands in the gutter. And he looks up at the night sky face up and he says, here I am a published author and I'm dying like a dog. (laughs) That's when I decided, that's what I decided I'm gonna be rich and famous. I thought that was the greatest line. That was. you know, did, and that's what he did. And he starts writing the Godfather out of, you know, the, the Senate hearings and the Balachi hearings and created this world, this family, the, the family that's where the fiction was more startling and more real and more epic than fact. And, you know, you just can't discount all that Mario Puzo did. No, he never actually met a gangster. That's what he said. Yeah. That's what he said. He He never met a genuine gangster. He met uh, a lot of had, pit bosses who let him believe they were, and then yeah, they found exactly. out they, they weren't. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, but he had such an imagination. 
I was I was able to go back and read some of his magazine stories. Um, he was a pulp fiction writer. He, he worked in New York at a at a company that that produced pulp fiction magazines, and he was able to create these stories that were just wild and had they they seemed like they were fact, but they were total fiction, war stories, crime stories. You know, all of this. This is what taught him to be a writer. Five cents a word. That's right, exactly. That Take it was to the his bank. training ground. You know, I, I developed a, a whole new appreciation for cinematography by reading your book. I mean, oh. you, the average person sees a movie, they enjoy it, but they don't fully understand why they enjoy it. I, I, I love uh, the old film noir movies from the 40s, some from the 30s, and uh, the way you explained it, the actors walk into the picture. The camera doesn't follow them. And when I rewatched The Godfather, most of the movie was like that. The actors were not followed with cameras. They walked into them. They drove into them. Th th that was that was all of uh, Francis Ford Coppola's idea, I would think, right? Well, his and, uh, you know, the director of uh, cinematography, Gordon Willis, Gordon he, best. known as the, the Prince of Darkness, you know, because right. he liked to paint with light and darkness. And he called, they call it the tableau uh, form of uh, it, where, where you're right, the camera static is like a painting where the action comes into the painting and it looks like a series of paintings. And that's what made the great art. Uh, that's what made The Godfather such a great, uh, beautiful film to watch. But in the beginning, Evans and, and Peter Bart, uh, you know, would be in the screening room in Los Angeles. And they go, what is this? Why is it so dark? Do, are we wearing sunglasses? <laughs> you know, so in the beginning, nobody thought it was, was great. Everybody thought it was problematic because it was too dark. And that opening scene where, where the Undertaker's face comes out of the darkness and you see Brando with that cat in his in his lap. Well, that cat was just in the Filmway Studios eating the rats. It was like a vagabond cat that Brando picked up, and the cat was purring into his microphone. And they said, "We can't hear a word Brando says, plus he's mumbling all the time." So you know, in the beginning, it was just like a, it a seemed like it was going to be a disaster. No, I was. I was privy to some of those phone calls. Well, you know, you know, my relationship with Betty McCart was yes. my, my conduit. And for she our told audience, me. what's that? She told me I was able to interview Betty, who's also dearly departed. She was so great. She loved Gianni. I mean, she told me that Gianni, you know, I think, I guess you lived at, at her house or something. Well, you maybe you never found out whose house that was, but it was Clint Eastwood's house. Ah. And Sergio Leone hired him to do three westerns right after Rawhide. So her, her husband, her son and daughter and I moved in. Because <laughs> I wanted to be an actor. Nobody knew who I was. So I was hiding out, going to Vegas, going back and staying with her. But And, and for our audience who don't know, she was Al Ruddy's assistant. Yes, she was so great. So she was hands-on. She told me everything was going on all the time. <laughs> well, my favorite Gianni Russo story is to lose, I think, was it 30 pounds or 80 pounds you lost? 30 pounds. He was on a popcorn and almond and white Chablis diet. That was it. He's still on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went to red one now. <laughs> yeah, but, oh, sorry. 
Yeah, there's one scene where the almond, he was drinking it out of a huge half gallon jug, right? Yeah. Because there's one scene in the in the cemetery at Don Corleone's cemetery where Francis got upset and actually, according to the uh, Ira Zuckerman, who who had the diary, wrote a diary about the filming, grabbed the almond and, and threw it down the street. And now I guess that was Gianni Russo's almond and jug. Well, I, you know, I I really had very few lines. I my only acting in that movie was the closing scene with Michael. All the rest were one-liners, and if yeah. I couldn't remember that, you know, I've never had a job where I had to be eight, ten, eleven, twelve hours somewhere. So I used to get drunk and go there. What do I care? I was having a party. I really didn't care if the movie made it at all. I didn't even know it was going to get out because the rumor yeah. constantly was they're going to close it down. Yeah. And that's yeah. all. And Francis every day thought he was going to get a pink slip. Exactly. Yeah. He just, you know, persevered through this thing and had this vision. You know, you just see it. If you look at his uh, Godfather notebook, which is what he did was he took the pages of Puzo's novel, which is so great because he didn't want to steer away from the novel. He knew the novel had magic in it once he decided that what he thought at first he thought the novel was too sensationalistic he said what is this the carpetbaggers you know and then he found the key and the key was family that the, the the gangsters weren't just criminals they were family men and he said he saw the film as a as the story of a king and his three sons and that's what he what he produced and directed and he took Puzo's book to Cafe Trieste in San Francisco every morning and he ripped the pages out and he put them in a in a notebook and on the on the margins of that notebook he wrote you know the different scene directions and what he wanted to do and his hopes and and dreams and all that came to fruition and uh, that was the genius of Francis Coppola and this film no I mean it uh, as we talk about it now 50 years later you would never think after reading your book, I'm sure so many people are going to be amazed at how we have this work of art after all this chaotic beginning and everybody pushing yeah. and pulling. And it was insane. Yeah, because they had the, the stripe on the set, the problems with the real mob, oh, the, uh, the, the, the troubles with uh, you know, the the people that, you know, Francis's vision against and Evans's vision and all of these competing things that were going on behind the scenes. And this miracle happened. Uh, and you can see that's what's on the screen. I mean, it you truly know, was. Yeah, this it was a miracle. And as, as Evan said, he wanted to uh, touch magic. And in this case, he really did. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I I went to see Evans an awful lot, and I was laughing when you said, uh, uh, I, "I can only imagine you knowing you're a married man, the first time you met Evans, and said, come to my bed with me, I will talk.'" <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, that was cra- That was wild. So I go to Evans's house. You know, this beautiful house uh, near the Beverly Hills Hotel. Up on the hill. And, yep. Yeah, and it, they let me. You know, his butler, Alan, great man, lets me in. And on the dining room table were all the clippings and the photographs and the and the mementos of the filming. And Evans walks in, and he he really knows how to make an entrance. His hair was slicked back. His face was. Oh, tanned. the silk robes and the forget about it. Yeah. He, well, he didn't have a, he, he was, he was like dressed really well. And he, 
rose-colored glasses. And what happened was he said, let's go to bed. And I went, what? And he goes, his screening room had burned down recently. So he he and his friends watched his movies in bed. Do you know who and burnt so, his you know who burnt his screening room down by accident? I'm not sure. Brett Ratner. Ah, I didn't know. <laughs> Brett Ratner's house was being remodeled. He let him stay there and somehow Brett, I don't know what he was doing, but that's another whole story. And Brett, I mean, he was Brett's mentor. And for yeah. our audience who don't know who Brett is, he's done some great movies. Rush Hour One, Rush Hour Two. I mean he was on great great director but he inspired him so we watched parts of the godfather and while we were watching he told me the story of his you know of what of his inner his participation his guidance what he thought the reaction after he saw it the premiere i mean the premiere was something in itself that was amazing oh my god Um, yeah, that was unbelievable. And and then the aftermath with the lines around the block, um, you know, you just couldn't invent it. There were you couldn't get a, a ticket. It was like going. They, they screened hours. it twenty four seven. Yeah, they screened it like that that long. That's nuts. Every so. you couldn't even get like a gap between showings. It was screened continuously. Hmm. Now, Mark, there's something I read in your book that I want to bring up and actually see if it's something Gianni knew about. I'm curious. So Gianni's told us before that Frank Sinatra, who obviously didn't want the movie done because he didn't like the portrayal of the character Johnny Fontaine, he personally asked Gianni not to do the film. Um, So that being said, you wrote that after Coppola's moved things over with Sinatra and would minimize the Fontaine character, Sinatra told Coppola, I'd like to play the Godfather. And that shocked me. And I'm wondering, Gianni, did you ever hear from Frank or from anyone on the film that Sinatra said that? Oh, I heard that he wanted to, but I, when he said it even to me, I thought it was in jest. I mean, talk about a stretch. Yeah, right. that's worse than Danny Thomas or Rod Steiger who wanted to play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like that's quite a that's quite a flip from his original feelings about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. well, that's Sinatra. Sinatra's schizophrenic. I mean, Pat and I know that. We we had to stop writing about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gets well, a little so, too crazy. Yeah, he didn't want the movie. You know, in the beginning, he, uh, you know, maybe he felt that Johnny Fontaine was too close. Um, but yeah, so he was in the background. And um, of course, you know, we all, you know, you can read what happens, what happens with, with the various yeah. incarnations. But he did influence Vic DeMoe not to do it, and Vic wouldn't do it. Yeah, and Vic was broke. Then he married Judy Sprinkles, who happened to own, you know, uh, everything. A sugar sugar company called uh, (laughs) Morton's, whatever it is. (laughs) Wow. He always married well, Vic. But I'm telling you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I I was saying it it was a hobby with him. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I mean, I, you know, when I, I, I like Pat. I was finding myself just going back to your book and reading it. I had to read it all. Because even, you know, I was, I mean, I, I was 25 years of age on a set. I didn't care what was going on. I didn't think a movie ever come out. I'm up there every day. There's, like you're saying, 750 extras. At least half of them were young, looking, good-looking ladies. So I was just saying, this is, forget about it. I died and went to heaven. 
Yeah, I love the various scenes with Gianni or, or Greg. I love the scene where, uh, you know, you get into the car, you have those tickets, and you're like, you know, you're going to Vegas to represent the family there, and you're almost crying, you know, yes, okay, thank you. And then you get in the car, and he, said, and he goes, I love Carlo. That's <laughs> just such a great scene. No, I, I mean, like you said, it, it just evolved into this masterpiece that's ongoing forever, thank God, because, I, I mean, I just keep reaping the harvest in so many different ways with this thing. And yeah, you know, I was uh, told with, at a meeting with Viacom that every two years we're having a 50th anniversary for Godfather mm -hmm. II, then Godfather Three. So I mean, this ain't going anywhere too soon. Now, so the 50th anniversary is in March of this coming year. 14. 50 yeah. years. Yep. Yeah, March 14th was the premiere and March 24th was when it was released in theater. So right. can you believe 50 years ago and people are still talking about it, still watching it, you know, it comes on television all the time. I'd love to see it on the big screen again. Well, that's what they're planning on doing, we uh, hear. They're supposed right. to make an announcement this week because they added like six minutes. Uh -huh. And it's funny, they could add to a movie that won an Oscar, but they can't take anything out. Because even uh -huh. at the... At the 25th anniversary up in San Francisco, I see Francis and I said, Francis, why don't you take that phantom punch out? And he enlightened me saying, once it wins an Oscar, you can't touch it. You, uh, can't, you can't take a scene out, but they yeah. can add scenes to it. So they're supposedly adding six minutes that has never been seen. Oh, that's great. So that's gonna be great. People yeah, and then they want to go wide again and release it. And I, I think that's now they're getting the support because I don't know how many of people you uh, this weekend probably was the largest push of attendance in theaters. It was over seventy-five million people went to theaters after everybody's COVID. so happy to be back, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, after this long hiatus of not being able to go into a theater. I mean, this is the kind of movie you really need to watch on the big screen, I think. You know, no, I would love to. I yeah. would love to be able to do that. I mean, I've watched it on my computer many times, oh, but no, it's yeah, not no. the same on a laptop. Nowhere near the same. No. I, I did a cruise about 10 years ago for um, Norwegian uh, Cruise Lines. And they said, we, we want to do a Godfather cruise. Will you host that? As of course. Because I had all my products. I said, we got to buy all my wine. you got to buy this. We want you to know, no problem. And then two nights of the cruise, they're going to show the movie. I said, who's going to see the movie? Not realizing most of the people on the cruise never saw it on a big screen. Sure. So at 11 o'clock at night in the big theater that sound, sat 3,000 people on the ship, these people will come with their pajamas, pillows, snacks. <laughs> And they watched the movie. They wound up showing it three nights. They could, people just wanted to watch it. That's so great. That's yeah, so great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's timeless because it was filmed in a classic way. It doesn't seem to age. It doesn't seem dated. You watch it, and it was filmed in the 40s. I mean, it was meant to depict the 40s when it was premiered in the 70s so it was already you know timeless then so now you watch it and it's the same thing that's the key to it that you could i think is that you watch it and you feel like you're watching it for the first time Absolutely. and it's just great it's so great again you know but how great you have to feel to have this book 
This is like the Bible of the Godfather. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. That means a lot coming from you, Gianni. Well, I mean, oh, the facts. Absolutely. I mean, I've read probably five uh, books of the making of the Godfather. I mean, they, they, they don't compare to the, uh, the excellent work you did, Mark. I mean, really good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you saying that. Well, it's there. It's in the book. It's in the writing. Megan, would you have any? Because she always has the questions that <laughs> the veterans like Pat and I wouldn't even think about. <laughs> I think I, I think I covered most of what I wanted to bring up. Mark, it's been a pleasure having you on. I, I mean, I'm no writer. I wasn't in The Godfather, but I thoroughly enjoyed the book. So thank you so much thank for coming Thank you so on much. It's always a pleasure talking to you, uh, Gianni and Patrick and Megan. Thank you so much for having me on. No, you're welcome. Come back. Anytime you want. Our, our yeah. door is open. <laughs> I will for sure. And we'll meet in New York, hopefully. Please come back. I'll be nice. Well, hang out, man. I will. All right. Thank you so much. Well, Congratulations. Thank you for coming on, Mark. Thank you. Good night. Congratulations. Good night. Good night. Thank you bye so bye. much. Thank you. Bye. Good show. That was great. Oh, my God. He's such a brilliant guy and humble. I know. Yeah, very, Just very like pleasant. You. Huh? <laughs> like me. <laughs> <laughs> I almost didn't make the show tonight. I was so humble. <laughs> Uh, you can have your stand in. I'm sure you have one. I don't know, but I mean, some idiot. There's so many idiots on these streets. It's, it's so dangerous. What happened? Oh, I thank God I got my cane. You know, some idiots saw my ring and, you know, he made, made a stupid gesture. Hmm. I said, well, if you want your face, come and get it. Because it'll be <laughs> on the end of my cane. Now get out of here. And I was oh, screaming and I happened to be on, th on Second Avenue. And all the cops know me. It's traffic time. I was walking through my four-mile walk. So they all come running over. Johnny, Johnny. <laughs> this guy was looking like saying, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, at least it ended just with me yelling. <laughs> That's good. No, but uh, let's make some money. We'll come back and go to the mailbag. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome everybody, and I'm so happy to be able to tell you tonight that we are expanding not only the show, not only how you can participate and share into so many different facets of my life and the life of this podcast and the world we created, we are going to expand our family. You're going to have an opportunity to actually join our family, and it'll be up to you how far you go in our family by the purchases of things we're putting out to you, um, the opportunities that you can take advantage of, like having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, having me visit your home while you have 10 people for dinner. There's so many things that you're going to be so excited. Just go to HollywoodGodfatherFamily.com and we'll have all the information you want. And believe me, I want you in my family. Don't let me come looking for you. We're back. All right, let's get into it. So first we have from Jeff. Jeff says, you have all answered my more thorough questions in the past and even did an entire show about one I asked, the one about Roy DeMeo. 
I have an odd question for Pat. How the heck did an Italian kid who grew up in New York City who becomes a cop ends up living in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania? I can understand moving to like Florida, Jersey, North Carolina, not the middle of Pennsylvania where you can't see your neighbor's house. Maybe your real name is actually Patty the Wrench Palumbo from the Gambinos and you're currently in the witness security program. Just You kidding. got me. Uh-oh. But that's I am curious. Finally, somebody made it. made it out there. Uh, uh, look, look, that's, that's what I tell everybody when they ask me, uh, why do I live here? I say, oh, I'm in the witness protection program. And that shuts them <laughs> up. But anyway, no, I wanted to write. And uh, it, it wasn't getting done. I had an office in Manhattan. I was a, a private investigator. Business was good. Business was too good. I was doing a lot of traveling, a lot of celebrity protection. I said, you know, this just isn't going to get done. So uh, my wife came from this little town in Western PA. We went to visit. And my first reaction was, who the hell can live here? Uh, well, that didn't go over very well, but the, uh, uh, the, the thought was there. I figured, I don't know anybody here. There's nothing to do here. And shame on me if I don't finally write. I have no excuse. So in the first three years I was here, I wrote three books. None of them sold. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's the process in this business got to find an agent. I wouldn't have to go through all that, but at least I had the time. I could devote eight hours a day to sitting in my basement in my own, uh, my underwear, typing away, you know, until eventually, you know, talent wills out and uh, I, I got the, the right agent and here I am. Why leave? Why ruin a good thing? I like it here. Raised two kids here. How many years you been there? 20, going on 29. Can I ask you a question? Sure. What the hell do you do there? <laughs> I uh, I write books, and you ought to be glad I do. No, I am. Oh, believe me, I selfishly I love. Right. I wouldn't want um, you anywhere they... else, selfishly. <laughs> and I still can't get you on the phone. <laughs> in, in addition, in, in addition to the writing thing, I like to put out a book a year or a bunch of proposals. Healthy living, because there's nothing else to do. That everybody here is so sports minded, and uh, they go to they go to redneck bars, and I'm gonna get thrown out of the neighborhood. But saying this, but. Uh, I don't like hanging out in bars. I like hanging out in cocktail lounges. They okay. don't have any, you know. So uh, fancy. Uh, I'm I'm in the gym four days a week. I'm running. I'm lifting weights. I'm doing all kinds of things. My my, my head is straight. It's clear. And uh, right, come up with ideas. This is the, the best thing I ever did. Plus, I think if I would have raised my two boys where I used to live, which was Jackson Heights, Queens, the cocaine capital of the world, uh, I would have had a hard time of it. Uh, but mm. here. They were they were nine years old before they saw their first sidewalk, you know. So, uh, wow. one is in medical school, and the other one uh, is uh, uh, a uh, site manager for a company, doing quite well. I don't think it so would have happened. So far, so good. Yeah, I don't think it would Well, you've well, done you have well. It. Thank you. Now, Thank you now let's start writing. <laughs> okay. See ya. <laughs> I'm waiting for my our next book. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm working on the outlines, pal. Perfect. All right, moving All on. All right, this one is from another person named Jeff. He says, thank you all for an amazing podcast. It is extremely entertaining, informative, and helps me forget that I am actually quite miserable, miserable while I'm working out at the gym. Something I've always wondered regarding the Godfather movies. Most of the time, the Godfather is called Don Corleone, but occasionally he's referred to as Don Corleone, which, which puts an emphasis on the E at the end of his name. Is there a reason for this? Does it have something to do with Italian culture or is it a mistake? 
Thank you again for hours of entertainment and information. Your life is fascinating, and I'm proud to be an Italian alongside of you. Well, thank you. Well, all I know about that is that uh, being an Italian and having two different cultures as an Italian, being from Naples and being from Sicily, they, like Naples, they pronounce everything. So some say Cordelioni. So when they, and, and Francis and them discuss that, especially at the mob meeting, where I think it came up a couple of times, the different pronunciation of how they were addressing them. But I think it was showing the territories that they came from and who they were the bosses of. And that's the explanation. So different that. different dialects, different right, pronunciations. Exactly. What's your thought, Pat? The uh, Corleone, uh, without the pronunciation of the E, is the uh, bastardized American version. That's what that's I what think. I kind of figured, too. It's more yeah. Americanized. So that's Solazzo yeah. and them that used to talk to them. And even uh, 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 McCluskey. That's where you got that, all that stuff from. Yeah, yeah. So basically, we're both saying the same thing. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I hope we answered your question. And we're proud that you're an Italian, too. <laughs> All right. Next is from Steven. Steven says, hi, Gianni. Did you ever come in contact with a guy named Anthony Raimondi? He claims his father took part in the killings of Joe Gallo and Robert or Albert Anastasia. Excuse me. Why, why would he want people to know he did? <laughs> exactly. If my father did that, I wouldn't tell anybody. Thank you. You're going to be getting a visit in the morning. Yeah, hello. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't say your last name or, or your address. <laughs> That's so, I mean, Jesus. Moving on. What else did you do while we're at it? You know? Yeah, hello. <laughs> yeah, right. We're on a list on the indictment. <laughs> All right, next is from Jamie. Jamie says, hello, Gianni, Patrick, and Megan. I have a question for the mailbag for Gianni. I was wondering if Gianni could shed some light on something for me. I know you've talked a good bit about both Frank Costello and Carlo Gambino. My question is, what would you say were personality traits both men shared, both positive and negative? Thanks and keep up the good work. Their loyalty, both positive and negative. Mm. You didn't cross any one of these men and your word is your bond. And uh, God forbid you if you did. Two, and like you're saying, two, two different images, two different walks of life. Everything about them, manner of speaking, dressing, but they were one of a kind when it come down to the, the end. It's who they are. And loyalty is an Italian thing. You know, somebody, one of my, uh, somebody that read my books once asked me, and they said, uh, how did you pick the theme of your book, of your books? And I'm thinking, what theme? You know, I mean, it's a story. They're good stories, I'd like to think. But I said, well, why do you think I picked it? I want to hear what he thinks my theme is. He said, well, loyalty runs through all your books. And he's right. He was hmm. right. I did it subconsciously. And it's an Italian thing. Yeah. That's I mean, the whole uh, thing, man. I've seen yeah. it. Yeah. I've, as we have seen, but I've seen it in real life. When you know when they say you're taking on that family, meaning the mob family, and they come before your family, anybody, and I've seen brothers to these guys be disloyal, and they gave the contract to the brother, yeah, to take him out. So and I have to do it. 
It's craziness. Yeah. That goes on beyond loyalty to me. Jesus. <clears throat> Moving right along. All right. Next is from Michelle. Michelle says, love the podcast. I don't know how I haven't heard of this sooner. I've been listening to it for a couple weeks while I do deliveries and I'm up to the end of season four. It's nice hearing all these little tidbits about the movie. I was wondering what they are singing in the wedding when the mother gets up to sing. When the older gentleman gets up with her and starts to sing, his teeth almost fall out and he seems to be doing obscene hand gestures. It always makes me laugh. The stories are great. Keep it up. Keep it up. Love you all. That's all. So what is she singing? Well, all, all those folk, Italian folk songs we always sang at weddings and feasts. And that guy is a real guy. He was a friend of my grandfather's. And he used to sing at Lady Montcalmo feast every year. So, and, and which is another piece of trivia. Nino Morielli and his brothers, the orchestra that played at my wedding, already played at two of my real weddings. <laughs> you had them on retainer, right? No, no I knew. Well. Oh, they never forgive me. I, I mean, <laughs> they forgive them that movie. They said, we'll play for all your other weddings for nothing. I said, I'm uh, stopping. <laughs> what a deal. Such a deal. No, they got famous, these guys. They actually changed the name of their like their wedding thing. We're the Godfather Wedding Band, like the wedding singer. They're the Godfather Wedding Band. That's and, a good promotion. And they got a lot of work. But the uh, the name of the song was Mezzaluna. Mezzaluna, yeah, I know. I mean, all of those. The motto, actually, yeah. the hey, hey, let's form a trio. There you go. <laughs> let's <Great> not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even a better idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Next is from Matthew. Matthew says, I know that Lucky Luciano was deported to Italy after the war, but I've read where he came back to the U.S. periodically for meetings and perhaps other things. Any truth to this? Of course. Hello. Mm -hmm. Before cell phones. <laughs> Before 9-11 and every ticket had to have your name on it. Well, it's known that he would uh, show up in Havana every now and then. Yeah. But uh, did you hear any stories where he actually came to the States? He came to, I knew he came to New Jersey once, and they brought him in by water, and the house that he was visiting was on the water. And then also he was, he went to see uh, Trafficante in in, uh, in Florida. That's when, uh, well, I don't want to mention too many names, but Santo Trafficante and Roselli is dead now, so that's the only names I can mention, but they brought him in. I mean, he had no problem getting coming in and out, you know. They, they didn't, you know, the people knew it was coming, was coming. Yeah, the times were a lot different then. The borders were porous. Oh, porous. God, yeah. It's crazy. Co you know, customers was a joke. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that is all I have for tonight. Well, I have to say, I think our audience will agree. Great show. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, he was and to have Mark Seal, as you, our audience will get to know this man, especially just from this book. He's a, a, a prolific writer, and, and and Pat, you gave him the best accolades, I think, one I mean, writer how, to another how he writer. All that that information, and you would think that some of the uh, uh, the sections of that book, no one would be interested in. Who cares about cinematography? Everybody's going to care about it when they when they read this book. He, he 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 makes it so captivating, and you could you could visualize the movie and the scenes he's talking about. You see yourself. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I like this movie, and I never even realized it. 
Well, I mean, I, 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 think, I thought the compliment that you said, that you read it in two, two, two days, I mean, two days. that's yeah. a big book. Yeah, yeah, 500 pages. Hello. 488, something like that. All right, well. well leave the gun, back. take the cannoli. Go get it now. There you Absolutely. Go. I, I, I'll get that title right. Right after I get, <laughs> right after I get your name right. <laughs> yeah, my name and my description. <laughs> All right. All right. It's, it's it's a good thing you weren't playing that part where the uh, where you would have to say it. Yeah. It's, I would have had to cut that every comments. time. Uh, take the gun. Leave the canoe. No, no. Leave the gun. Take the canoe. No, 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 no. Leave the body. Take the <laughs> no, take the, the, yeah, the gun. Take the gun. Something like that. Forget about. It. Leave it all. <laughs> <laughs> leave it all there. Who needs? Yeah. Oh man. All right. Good night, right. everybody. Thank you all for tuning in. We need the cards and letters and the reviews. Our audiences are building, fortunately, and we all thank you for that. God bless you. Have a night. Have a Good night, guys. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be wrong. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around. Give me a call. Seventeen, it was a very good year. It was a very good year for small town girls and soft summer nights. We'd hide from the light on the village green. I did it my